What's up, gang? Thanks for joining me. Let's get right into it. Coming to you from Chicago. It's weird. It's like 50 degrees outside right now, but it was like one degree when I got here, and there's a snowstorm coming. So, hey, that's the winter in the Midwest for you. What a time. What a time to be alive. I do miss... I love the Midwest. Hey, it's fun. People always shit on Chicago in the winter. Hey, you know what's annoying? Chicago in the summer. Chicago in the summer sucks. It's hot as fuck, and it's full of people who want to go on a boat and get lit on seltzer. It's stupid. It's dumb. Chicago in the su- I'm not on. I'm not on board. Chicago in the summertime. Chicago in the fall, spring, winter. Sure, summer. Get lost. Uh, with most places, the only place I want to be in the summertime, honestly, would be Michigan. Like Michigan summer on a lake. That's it. L.A. hated it in the summer. Spent 12 years in L.A. in the summer. Sucks. Worst time of year. Hot, full of tourists, just like Chicago. Anyways, we're about to go to war with Russia, so that's fun. Um, and that's kind of be something that's going to... Obviously, it's been in the news a lot with financial markets and all that shit. And you're seeing it have an effect on, on everything with, with the stock market because you're seeing a lot of good companies have some really good earnings. I mean, it's a busy earnings week. And you're seeing a lot of good earnings reports come out. And you're seeing a lot of good, strong economic signs outside of inflation. But, you know, and then you're seeing markets still get pummeled here and there. And so you're like, okay, what's going on? It's just, you know, like I said in previous weeks, like last year or 2020, you could have kind of read, ride the wave of just the overall market sentiment of just, it was just very, very bullish. Now it's kind of going the other way. You're starting to feel a little bit like, okay, we're starting to separate winners from losers here big time. And and the losers are getting bit hard. And, and, and again, I, this is the theme I've been saying is markets are going to overreact both ways good news and bad news. We saw that happen with Shopify. We'll get into more with that later, but it's just, it's, you're seeing it happen uh, all the time. So be aware of that. And just to reiterate during these like kind of crazy moments, literally hand write out your investing plan. I do that and I've used it this week. You don't have to, you can hand write it in a notebook if you want, or just write it in the notes section of your computer or phone. And just reference it and say, okay, what's my investment plan for this quarter or this year or the next six months, whatever it might be. So I literally looked at that and I was like, because it also keep you from making emotional decisions. Like I almost never sell because I always say it's like, if you're not using the money, why get rid of it? Now I might start moving money here and there, uh, exiting some positions, not anytime soon. And I'll say when I do, but I could see why maybe after years of holding something, you're like, okay, we're going to sell this one and reposition over here. But I, I've mentioned that we're like, have a core group of stocks really focused in like five to 10 stocks that you really, really know. And that's where all your, most of your money is. And then that's reevaluated every few years. So every, maybe every five to 10 years, you can add some, take some out, whatever it might be. Um, so by, by handwriting out that investment plan, you can kind of, it helps you stick to it uh, when things are kind of going crazy. And it helps you from just like kind of chasing the news. It's one thing I always say, like, don't, don't chase the news kind of when you want to be in the news already, you don't want to chase it. So, it kind of keeps you from doing that. So I, I, I did that this week where it's like, okay, what is my, what did my notes say? Cause I kind of want to make some decisions. I, I wanted to buy Nvidia before earnings. Uh, Cause it kind of been taking a hit. It went down all the way down to like almost 200. I think it even went to like 200 in recent weeks. Now it's at like 260, whatever. And so, uh, but you're starting to see a lot more like more analyst price targets come out pretty aggressively for Nvidia again, um, which is bound to happen after this earnings report. But because of all this shit with Russia, like, again, 
NVIDIA had a really good earnings report, beat earnings on revenue and earnings per share, had good guidance, like kind of what we've said last week. Hey, gaming, artificial intelligence. They had actually announced a partnership with JLR. That's one thing Jensen Huang talked about recently. I always talk about it. If you don't know who Jensen Huang, CEO of NVIDIA, low-key, one of the best CEOs on Wall Street no one talks about because all the headlines are dominated by Zuckerberg and Elon and all these clowns. Well, Elon's not a clown, but Zuckerberg is. But you know what I mean? And so... But it's like a Dorsey and, and, and Bezos and Gates. But like, dude, Jensen Huang, low key, low key, one of the dopest dudes in Silicon Valley. He's an Asian in a, a leather jacket. It's a good look. It's a good look. Um, and so they had partnered with JLR. They And then, so last year, around the same time, actually, they announced that they were building... They were doing the self-driving for the, um, what's it called? Neo, for the Neo cars. They were doing the self-driving stuff for them. And then they announced this week that they had partnered with JLR for um, their next level like AI for their new car. I forget what the name of the car. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, what vehicle is it on? All right, so here it is. Ramping up efforts and automobile advancement efforts. With a newly announced partnership that aims to infuse intelligence technology into the consumer's driving experience. So what happened? NVIDIA and Jaguar Land Rover announced Wednesday, just today, that the automaker will develop its upcoming vehicles on the full-stack NVIDIA Drive Hyperion 8 platform. So I guess all their upcoming vehicles are going to be developed on this NVIDIA product, the NVIDIA Drive Hyperion 8 platform. Drive Orn will deliver a wide range of active safety, automated driving, and parking systems, as well as driver assistance systems built on Drive AV software. The system will also deliver AI features inside the vehicle, including driver and occupant monitoring and advanced visualization. So we again, this is what we talked about, another sector that, again, NVIDIA has their hand in everything, um, and they make some of the best AI. So you're going to see that more and more. JLR, it's funny they're partnering with JLR. NVIDIA is such a great company, and JLR is not. Jaguar, Land Rover. JLR sucks. Don't buy those cars. They're pieces of shit, to be honest with you. They've changed hands. The ownership has changed hands so many times. They're great. If you want to lease them, they're great leases. Hey, man, if you want to go lease a Range Rover, go for it. That's what they're for. They're for rich people who don't give a shit and just want to be on a lease for a little while and look like a rapper. That's who they're for. But outside of that, don't mess with it. Um... But so just interesting to see that. But again, whether just like if the metaverse, whether it succeeds or not, NVIDIA is going to sell their shit and, and they're going to be successful. Whether JLR sells these cars or not, NVIDIA's they're going to have to pay NVIDIA to do this stuff for them. So NVIDIA is going to get theirs. Who knows what JLR is going to get? So just to reiterate that, um, our position behind NVIDIA. Um, so I did pick up a little bit more NVIDIA, but because of that in handwriting out my investment plan, I... I wanted to get in my Webull account. I need to raise my Apple holding in there. So I was like, all right, you can buy some NVIDIA, but you have to make sure to buy some Apple with it. Because I got to make sure to have at least 20% Apple in that portfolio. And like I say, 20% Apple in any portfolio you have is a good move. So I don't think I have 20% Apple in that one. So I need to make sure it's there. Going to do it. And to piggyback on last week's subject of cheaters always prospering, the title of last week's episode, because we talked about how the Citadel guys were going to get away with their shorts and um, uh, how the guy that did the research for them, uh, Citron, I think it was Citron Research Group or something, Citron Research, that guy got his computer seized to help you know Citadel and Melvin Capital and all these hedge funds get away with their shit. 
Um, but in that same vein, we saw this week Berkshire Hathaway. There was some big insider trading going on. Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's company. They bought a billion dollars of Microsoft stock right before the Activision Blizzard announcement. So you can't tell me that that wasn't a little insider trading. There's absolutely no way that Bill Gates didn't call and drop Warren Buffett a little line. Hey, man, we're looking at some shit. We're looking at because like they spent, what, 70 billion. And I talked about how when these companies make these decisions, these big acquisitions, they probably spend five to ten million dollars at least researching, paying lawyers, paying accountants to go through and do their due diligence. There's whole analyst teams that do the whole companies that do this. For, so it's like um, they've probably been looking at this Activision deal for over a year and it just got announced. So, of course, you know, Microsoft knows what's up. Gates can call his old boy, Warren, and say, hey, hook, hook up a little Microsoft stock. Because also during the pandemic dip, Warren Buffett famously said he didn't see any value. He didn't see value in any stocks at the moment. In March of 2020, he said that shit. Luckily, he didn't sell much of his Apple. He did sell some of it, and he did go back on it and say he regretted it, and it was a bad move. Of course it was. Never sell Apple, Warren. Come on. Don't you listen to Cash Pineapples? Get it together. Jesus. So they did that. Also, George Soros, you know, famously behind all the riots, right? <laughs> uh, oh, I kid. But George Soros, billionaire, he sold off a lot of tech, sold off a big, sold off a lot of Alphabet, you know, Google stock, Amazon stock, right before the dip, go figure. I mean, these it's great how perfectly they get it. It's great how perfectly they nail it, right? Isn't that wonderful? Um, and then he also added a big stake in Rivian. So do what you want with Rivian. I still think that company sucks. But hey, George Soros put $2 billion behind it. So, and I mean, why? I, again, I, I'll say why I don't like Rivian. Uh, they don't make their own batteries. They're a little bit too far behind. They're going to have pr pr production issues, profitability issues. Um, that battery is going to cost them too much money to make much of a profit versus a company like Tesla. Also, going back to branding, uh, I've seen a Rivian truck on the road. They don't look great uh, versus a Cybertruck or even the Ford Lightning. I mean, Ford's boring, but I'd honestly probably rather buy the Ford Lightning than a Rivian. Rivian just, I guess, has its new. But so anyway, Soros taking a big stake in that. I'm not I'm not buying it. Um, I also found an article about some uh, the amount of stocks that S&P U.S. Congress members were loading up on, were buying in the S&P 500 last year. So let's go through some of these 10 companies over the past 12 months. These are the the most money these are the companies that congress u.s members of congress now again you know of course politicians can invest and we've, we've taught done episodes where we talked about nancy pelosi's husband her his his options plays that he's up to but this one's just um co u.s congress members buying stocks within the sp 500 over the past 12 months by dollar value here are the biggest ones we'll go in order from bottom to the top so in 10th place magellan midstream partners 2.6 billion no 2.6 million um this is the value of politicians purchases over the last 12 months and so over the last 12 months they bought 2.6 million in magellan midstream partners Intero midstream they bought 2.97 million worth three million dollars worth of morgan stanley three million dollars worth of netflix three million dollars worth of apple 
$3.3 million worth of Shell Midstream Partners, $3.5 million worth of Amazon, $5 million worth of NVIDIA, $5.5 million worth of Google stock, and then a whopping $63.9 million worth of Microsoft. Bill Gates is making a lot of phone calls lately, folks. He's calling Warren. He's calling all the U.S. Congress members. What's going on? That is not even close how much by weight they are putting. I mean, the next closest is $5.5 billion, or $5.5 billion, $5.5 million to almost $64 million. Those two articles alone make me want to buy Microsoft stock. I don't have it, but I'll probably buy some tomorrow in my parents' account. We'll see how the markets go. Actually, I don't know if I'll buy it tomorrow. This Russia news, you know, stocks are doing great. The companies are performing well, and they're making big money. But sometimes the macro news can beat out even good earnings, which is what's been happening. What's happening with NVIDIA. The macro news of the Russia shit could overshadow NVIDIA having great earnings and further good guidance. Because you've been seeing companies say, hey, we beat earnings, but our guidance is going to lack for this next quarter or for this next year. And the stock takes a shit. That happened to Shopify. They beat earnings, but they lacked on. They said, hey, we're going to slow down our growth. And everyone freaked out. And the stock sold off hard, which it already had been. So, again, markets overreacting, like we said. But these two articles, between Berkshire Hathaway buying a billion in Microsoft and Congress members putting $64 million worth of money into Microsoft, which is nearly more than 10 times the next closest investment they made in the S&P 500, makes me want to buy more of that stock. Or just have it. I don't have Microsoft stock. Makes me want to get more, get some for myself, and then buy some in my parents' account that I managed. So I'm like, hey, shit, might want to get into that. Um, and another thing I want to talk about this week too, you might notice this. And if you listen to the show on the regular, I become a broken record with certain things. Which I at first I was like, man, do I need to like you know go into other you know stocks or talk about more different different um, you know maybe different angles of stuff? But it's like. I want to stay with what I know. I don't want to lead people down the wrong path. And also I've noticed if you're really like, I'm a long-term investor, I'm going to start getting into more options stuff, hopefully more this year. But overall, I'm a long-term person, obviously. And so if you are week to week, your, your, your opinions of companies are not going to change based on macro events that are happening outside of it. So that's why every week I'm like, hey, this is what's happening, but here's why I still believe this, or here's where I think it's still going. That's why I look at intrinsic value of my portfolio, not what it actually is. Or look at your share count to be like, okay, I have this many shares. How many more can I accumulate now? Like looking ahead to block, you know, Square, Square reports earnings end of this month. So by the time the next episode comes out, we should know Square's earnings because they report on the 21st, I think. February this will come out on this this episode will come out tonight the 16th and so um well interesting to see um I'm gonna stack up I'm trying to stack up as much cash as I can before then because if it does take a dip after earnings for whatever reason I'm gonna come in and pick up more because I think it's at a great price because we're still seeing a lot of aggressive price targets we talked about it last week and it's it's continuing um between not just um who did we talk about last week? Like Dan Dolev, but JP Morgan's raising price targets. Citigroup is raising price targets on Square. Bank of America. Bank of America says Square is due for a 70% rally. Um, I think Citigroup put a 220. Yeah, Citigroup put a 220 price target on it. Bank of America analyst Jason Kupferberg. 
uh, upgraded the, the stock to a buy. Didn't put a price target on it. He might be the one saying a 70% upside, a 70% upside though. Yeah, 220 rating at Citigroup. Bank of America says it's going up 70%. JP Morgan, I think, had a 200-something price target. Let's see what that one says. Uh, 215. And then a lot of these articles, too, are just saying that the sell-off is overdone. And also being kind of misrepresenting mis, uh, the block, not the, the, um, the cash app. By only giving six and a half billion dollars worth of value to the cash app. So, and the reason that, so the Bank of America analyst, Jason Kupferberg, pointed this out. So basically, the markets are only ascribing $6.5 billion of value to the cash app that is owned by Block slash Square, essentially giving it a value of $93 per annual active user compared to the market values paypal's same users at 326 a user and a firm at 1472 dollars per user so there is no way there's no way the cash app i mean come on that's that's you can see right 93 dollars cash app is worth 93 dollars per annual active user versus 326 for essentially a venmo user and then a firm 1472 i mean it's crazy so making a good point about Cash App being undervalued. Um, and I, I kind of say the whole thing about Square being oversold because of other other people's missteps. PayPal separating from um, eBay, a firm being an unprofitable company and kind of just landing all these partnerships, but kind of being loose about their credit restrictions and kind of a lot of their their buy now pay later people are in default square and and then also like apple coming out with the payment processor and google you know google doing the same thing and and so how you basically use your your iphone as a point of sale system and so it's like okay i like that block had been already moving away from all that so and also like intel had announced that block was the first customer of their new product um they're making a new bitcoin mining chip titled the bonanza mine which is an ultra low vote ultra low voltage energy efficient microchip for bitcoin mining and the ceo of intel noted that block was the first customer one of the first customers of the product um but and dorsey had talked about this a while ago talked about how bitcoin mining is he's it's going to get a lot greener it's going to it's going to create a push for just greener energy across the board so you're seeing him be right there a, a big reason why we talk about why I love Square is because I just like I like Dorsey. I like that he's forward thinking. I don't always agree with them, but he's a little crazy, a little eccentric, a little out there. So it's usually um, those guys are usually ahead of the game and continuing to be that way. Um, oh, another one before I move on from Block again. I we're gonna keep saying this as as Block stays at these levels. You know, if it goes on a run back to where it was, I'm going to be so obnoxious if people didn't buy it at these levels. But like I said, macro events outside of the market playing making into playing into effect here with what what's going on with Russia and inflation. But a hundred dollars a share and under, I mean, it's a no-brainer for for Square stock. So J.P. Morgan analyst, I don't want to pronounce his last first name wrong, but last name Huang gave the stock an overweight rating with a price target of two hundred dollars. Says that Block's acquisition of buy now pay later fintech afterpay will boost Block's growth par- profit margin to 26% per year on average until 2024. Block should easily be able to achieve this 
given that it has increased gross profits by 29% on average during the past three years. We've talked about the Afterpay acquisition. I dig it for a lot of reasons. I think this is why they went with buying one versus um, uh, went with buying a buy now pay their company versus creating one in house because they're tapping into Afterpay's built-in customer base already. So Square should have no problem being profitable. A firm is already having a rough time making money. So if if Afterpay is already doing well and Square is just acquiring that, hey, good move. So because I kept saying like I was surprised they didn't build that that service in-house that seems like something square would have done ahead of the game but they decided to spend the money oh not even the money it was an all-stock purchase of afterpay so i also wonder if when that deal went through like well no it couldn't have been people who got the stock and selling it off there had to have been some sort of because i always wonder if like they, they, they bought this the uh, company for 29 billion dollars worth of stock whoever the owners were, wherever that stock went to, could have sold that stock off right away to cash in, right? Which would have plummeted the stock in itself. So part of me was thinking that too. Where it's like, is that why it was selling off? But the deal didn't go through until uh, this last month. So I don't think that was why. But hey, who knows? Anything can happen these days. Um, speaking of eccentric billionaires, we went on this whole tangent. Elon you know, paid his taxes, donated $5.7 billion to undisclosed charities. Now, of course, he did it for tax purposes. People would be like, yeah, but he did it for taxes. Yeah, who gives a shit? <laughs> I don't care. He still did it. Um, and then this uh, created a, a Facebook comment battle on my Facebook, which I had to remove completely. Uh, it's just funny how much people hate Elon Musk specifically. Like, look, there are almost 3,000 billionaires worldwide. Take your pick, all right? They all suck. But at least Elon's entertaining and funny. All right. And he's not wrong often. He's usually pretty on point with what he's saying. He's not an idiot. But by me saying anything positive about Elon, people freak out and think I'm insane. Think I'm a Nazi of some sort because I think Elon's okay. And then it became this whole thing where like, um, I was kind of arguing with a couple of people about like a uh, kind of a bigger conversation. Like, you know, one of my friends was commenting about how he can't afford to buy a house in San Diego and he makes a hundred thousand dollars a year or six figures. He makes, you know, all this money. He can't afford to buy a house in San Diego. I'm like, first of all, you're in San Diego. All right. And I know that is bullshit. It is bullshit, but you know, you can get a house most places with that kind of money. If you set it aside for, and my point is, yes, that's dumb for San Diego, but the bigger problem here is not that you can't buy a house. The bigger problem is, is like we kind of became this, this example of a gas station clerk. He kind of said like, okay, well, so only, uh, you know, if I can't, if with six figures, I can't buy a, a house in a nice city. So only rich people can afford to live in nice cities. Yeah. It's kind of how it works, you know? And then he kind of said, well, so then what about the laborers? What about like the gas station clerks? That became the example we were using. Like, so where do they work in the city? Where do they live in the city? Yeah. That, and there we go. That's the bigger problem. The bigger, I don't think, you know, and then he kind of, I, he said like, you're saying a gas station clerk isn't entitled to a house in a nice city. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's 100% what I'm saying. Yes. I don't think a gas station clerk should be entitled to should be a property owner. I'm not saying they can't, but I'm not saying that it's like, it's crazy if they're not. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this gas station cashier doesn't own a house. That's not surprising to me. And I'm not saying that they should own it. It'd be great if they did, but we don't live in a fantasy land. We don't live in that world where that's really possible right now. There's too many people and resources are too scarce for housing to do that. It's too competitive. So we can't do that. 
What's more bullshit is a gas station clerk can't afford even a basic apartment, not only in San Diego, but in a shit city like Indianapolis. A gas station attendant can't live in even Ohio. They can't live in a one-bedroom apartment and go on a nice vacation for themselves even once a year in Ohio. That's a bigger problem. A bag of apples shouldn't be 50 fucking dollars. That's a bigger problem than someone with six figures not being able to afford real estate in Southern California. And by, which, by the way, none of this has to do with Elon Musk being rich, by the way. There's a bigger problem with the income divide. And it's not created because of Elon Musk or what he did. The income divide's been getting worse since the 70s. You want, your, you want the general population's income to kind of increase with GDP. And around the 70s, it kind of split. That's not good. And it's been, the income divide has been getting worse since the 70s. And it's, I'm telling you, it's only going to get worse from here on out. And I'm not saying like it's, I don't want it to get worse. But at the same time, it's not realistic for everyone to be driving Mercedes living in mansions, right? It needs to be better than it is. But you kind of have to be real about it. So I think that's why people have so much misdirect, misdirected anger at Elon is they think, oh, well, I'm not rich. So I'm going to be mad at the richest guy because he's the problem. No, it's it's not just him. It's like I said, there's 3000 billionaires and beyond that people with hundreds of millions, tens of millions who are also huge pieces of shit getting in the way of you buying a house. And that's why more people are staying on Airbnb for months on end because they can't afford a house. That's why Airbnb crushed earnings. See that segue? How smooth was that? <laughs> um, Airbnb did do well with earnings. They reported yesterday, I believe. Stock did well, popped like 9, 10% in after hours, did well on a shitty day, even uh, after the fact. And again, going in line with what I've been saying with Airbnb, if they keep beating, they keep doing these earnings beats, it's going to keep creeping up 200, 250, 300. It's going to keep climbing. Airbnb is a long-term hold five, 10 years minimum. It's, it's a long-term thing for sure, but we're seeing a paradigm shift in travel. We're seeing, we're seeing that happen. And so not only with travel, but Airbnb is booking longer, longer stays. People are booking for month, two months on there. I do it all the time on Airbnb. I love it. Go to a city for a month, bounce, go to the next one. It's great. Don't have to stay committed to one and pay all that rent if you're not there. Cause I travel a lot. So if I'm going to be in a city for a minute, it's nice to just, all right, I can pay while I'm here, but if not, I can just bounce. So, um, Ooh, I just got an invite for a NASCAR thing. I'm not going to go. And an email for my pizza order. I put it in order for delivery for Lou Malnati's when I started this order. And started this order. I started this episode. So by the end of this episode, my pizza will be arriving or should be close to. But Airbnb did well with their earnings, longer stays. Plus, all those boomers out there spending their retirements. Boomers out there spending my inheritance and Airbnbs and Myrtle Beach and shit. So of course you're gonna be making money. They're gonna keep killing it. Facebook, rough. It's a rough time to be a Facebook owner. Facebook, more bad news. Getting pummeled even more because Google and Apple changing their privacy so you can't track and sell their data. You can't track for targeted ads as well, which is basically Facebook's entire business. 98% of their money, 99% of their money comes from advertising. So um, I keep saying too, Fang should be Mang, M-A-A-N-G. The M should be Microsoft. The N should be NVIDIA. Get rid of Nike, get rid of Netflix, get rid of Facebook, put in NVIDIA, put in Microsoft. No more fang. It's going to be mang. <laughs> That's the pineapple's fang is mang. It's Microsoft 
Amazon, Apple, Nvidia, Google. That's the move. Anyways, Shopify. Let's talk about their earnings. They they reported earnings before the uh, before market um, opened this morning. Now, let me see here. I don't know if I saved it on my phone. I might have to pull up their actual thing here. But already, okay. Now they're taking a big dip. They dipped like eighteen percent today. But oh shit! Nope. Don't resubmit. We're going to look this up because they beat earnings. And again, they beat on earnings per share and revenue and they're still growing and they're still expected to grow at a quite a great clip. But because they were like, ah, it's going to slow down a little bit. Everyone was like, how dare you? All right. Let's look up this Shopify stock. Their earnings beat was pretty nifty. Yeah. Here we go. So for the fourth quarter, Shopify... Had a strong fourth quarter. Merchant solutions revenue was 1.03 billion, up 40% year over year. Great. Subscription solutions increased. Uh, revenue from, from subscriptions increased by 26% to 351.2 million. Gross merchandise value in the fourth quarter was $54.1 billion, an increase of 31% from the previous year. Gross payments volumes grew to $27.7 billion, accounting for 51% of gross market volume process in the quarter. During the Black Friday weekend, globally, sales on the platform reached more than $6.3 billion. And in addition, they're starting to roll out more features like on like on TikTok and like on Etsy. And I know they have a partnership with a firm. So going down to like, let's see what the stock is at, like seven, some, 730 a share, 740 a share. And I, I know there's going to be more price targets coming out after like in the next couple of days because these are still really healthy, strong earnings. And yes, online market is, e-commerce is going to be a little bit less than it was during the pandemic. Of course, it'll probably take a few years for it to get back to that level, the pandemic level. But it's still going to you're still looking at massive, massive numbers. I mean, 47 percent growth year over year, 31 percent growth, 26 percent. Those are great numbers. And they're seeing higher capital expenditures. That's fine though, because they're 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 investing more in their business, so they're seeing more expenses. But they still have a healthy balance sheet, plenty of cash on hand. So, yeah, of course the stock took a huge dip today. But if you don't have a position in Shopify, a great one to keep an eye on. I haven't added to my position in a long time. I bought Shopify initially at like five hundred something a share, and then bought it again at twelve hundred. So that twelve hundred, you know, purchases under, but. I've stayed, I'm staying with it because to look at what they're doing on the whole, the amount of, the amount of like gross volume they're doing, the revenue they're doing, the sales numbers are doing. Also, if you've ever used the service, if you've looked into like the back end of what they do, it's pretty incredible. It's a pretty incredible service that they provide. It's basically, they can make any store an online merchant for next to nothing for a nominal fee a month. And you can look incredibly professional. Um, and it just helps with like it, it keeps your investment costs low for a lot of these businesses when you want to get to online. So I'm still sticking with it. If you don't have a position, this is where I've since I've waited so long to buy back in or not to buy back in because I never sold, but I've waited so long to add more shares because the stock was running high for a while. I know it'll get back up there, but it's going to take some time now. It's not going to run back up like it did last time. It's going to take some time, but now is where you can come in and get some really good, really good prices with it. So if you don't have a position, good to look at it. I'm going to look at adding some myself. If it can, I'm just going to see where it settles out here. 
you know, the, there still might be some, you know, overall, there could still be some, some little bit of a dip coming here. So I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on it. I want the dust. I want to let the dust settle with Shopify a little bit after this earnings report, but I have a feeling you're going to see some stronger targets come out for 800, 900, over a thousand quite easily, even post this, this earnings report quite, and you already saw one, one came out even today already before this, before I could even record this episode, one came out, Scott, De, Scott DeVitt from Stifle. Yeah. From Stifle Nicholas maintained a buy rating on Shopify with a price target of a thousand dollars. So, and DeVitt's a five-star analyst with an average return of 18.1% and a 50.9% success rate. Funny to think that you can be a five-star analyst with a half right batting average, <laughs> right? 50% right. And he's a five-star analyst. Hey, that's, that's the game though. So just to get even more confusing to go with Shopify, we'll mention Spotify, look at it while it's low. I haven't added to my Spotify position in a minute, but it's not a bad spot to look at because like I keep saying, if they're following the Netflix model of buying their content, buying some content, I know they're going to start creating their own original content, not just with podcasts, but also with like, uh, even artists. So supporting their own artists on their platform. So they're not paying out as many royalty fees so they can have, you know, pay for them themselves on there. I know Amazon's trying to dip into the, um, uh, the streaming wars, uh, the music streaming wars game, if you will, Amazon and Spotify are actually both bidding on a London based podcast company right now. So we'll see who buys that one, but Amazon stepping into the space could be quite interesting. And just looking at Spotify, you know, they're still not, they're a big company, but they're still in that level where they could be acquired by somebody. You know, we always talk about how much cash Apple has on hand and companies like Amazon even, I mean, Spotify is a $31 billion company. If they keep taking a hit, they're looking like they could, that's, that's to me, if I'm Apple, that's looking like more and more of an attractive acquisition offer. Just for my, I mean, if I'm Apple and I have that kind of cash on hand and Spotify keeps taking a hit, that's a lot of market share you can eat up. Don't even, and just, you could make it Apple music if you wanted to, but just keep it as Spotify. Just own it. Just own the company. Do what you want with it. Maybe we could rebrand it. I don't know. But as the company takes a dip, it to me, it becomes more and more of an attractive buyout for a big company if that's something they wanted to do. Like if Apple really wants to get into that space or Amazon really gets in that space, that's basically a way to be like, well, now I'm now we own that space. I mean, that would be pretty, 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 um, pretty powerful move right there. So, but outside of that, you know, I'm I'm gonna keep an eye on on the overall like um uh, kind of the bigger picture of what's going on with Russia, inflation. There's a lot of bullshit. Uh, and the point I meant to make too about some of these YouTubers and just with this show in general, where I say sometimes I feel like I sound repetitive week to week, but I've had a lot of my friends, not a lot, but a, a couple of my friends get into some of these bigger YouTubers. And one in particular really soured on one last week, uh, this YouTuber named Meet Kevin. I don't know if you've watched him, but there's a lot of these guys out there and a lot of them will say these crazy things week to week because they have to be dramatic to, to get ratings. And a lot of these, like this whole industry of financial podcasts and YouTubers and all that shit, it's almost become 
a lot of them have become very similar to the mainstream Wall Street media, where they're saying their own things for the, they're saying things for ratings, they're being dramatic for ratings to get viewership, or they're saying things for their own positions. I'm pretty transparent about my positions. I say everything I'm doing week to week. I talk about it on Instagram, on the Discord, on here. So I'm I'm pretty transparent about all that stuff. But a lot of these guys, you know, like Meet Kevin, for example, my one of my friends sold a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of stock in Tesla. He has a good chunk, but kind of trimmed a position because this Meet Kevin guy sold $20 million worth of his own stock. He's all, he's all cash now because this guy's spooked about incoming whatever. And and again, these guys will talk about this Meet Kevin guy would always talk about not trying to time the market and be like, buy the dip, buy the dip. And here he is selling on a dip. I mean, what? How that'd be, I'd feel betrayed myself. I, you know, and honestly doing this podcast or doing what I do just advising people on certain things it gives me more conviction with stuff because it's like man i can't be selling and telling people to buy 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 and then I, behind closed doors i sell and then all of a sudden i tell i tell them oh hey guys by the way remember i said buy every dip and i just sold all of a sudden that's crazy so be wary of that and i've, I've noticed that some of these guys are they're not far off from some of the the motley fools of the world so when i do sound boring sometimes i'm like well that's because I'm not changing my opinion about the stock every damn week. I'm just saying like, hey, here's 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 the here's the numbers, here's the bottom line, here's where things are going. We're staying in line with our thesis. Now look what's happening outside in the rest of the world that's going crazy. Um All right. It's a nice rainy night. It's weird that it's raining in the middle of the winter here, but it's I'm looking out my window. It's a nice rainy night. My pizza's about to get here and so I'm going to cut this a little bit short because of that reason, because I don't want to miss my pizza. I mean, come on. It's Lou Malnati's. We're in Chicago. And normally, by the way, normally I wouldn't get it delivered because I'm, I can be cheap like that where I'm like, no, I'll walk and get it. But it's cold. It's rainy. I'm not doing that. I don't want to walk a hot pizza through the cold weather. Nope. We're not doing it. So we're going to go ahead, have him deliver it. We'll tip the driver, do what we got to do to make it happen because if you're not going to pay the delivery fee and still tip your driver right then don't order delivery them's the rules all right all right i'm out of here time to eat some pizza have a good week